This is episode 76, Pax What She Said. I don't care what you think, that's funny, and I heard you laugh, Matt, so, you know, I'm taking that as a win there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, episode 76, uh, we're going to be taking a look at the Green Bay Packers game today, and we're going to be having a little look through some Lions news as well, because, as always, we need to find things to argue about on Twitter, which I've been doing a lot of the week, so we're going to go through a lot of that there. So... My name's Anthony Fitzpatrick, and this evening I am joined by two of my most esteemed colleagues here. The first you'll know because he hosts the show all the time, but he's nursing a little bit of a hangover today because he got tickets to go and watch his beloved Liverpool in the Champions League last night. And Ooh. Yes, Steve, okay, you know, let's keep rivalry aside just for now, but um, <laughs> yeah, Matt went to watch Liverpool play AC Milan and they won. Matt... Great win for them. How's your head today? I felt better. <laughs> I felt a lot better, but it was a cracking night. We had probably 12 or 13 beers through the course of the day. <sighs> uh, Steve's still reeling off a 2-1 loss to someone. I don't know. I've never heard of him. Um, young boys. <laughs> young boys. Oh, your favourite team. <laughs> and sorry, sorry. <laughs> just 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 for the American listeners there, young boys are actually a football team from Switzerland. Uh, we're not just making young that boys. one up there. Burn. And sorry. yes, <laughs> Manchester United did lose to them the other day. But yes, that brings me on to my second colleague of the evening, and it is of course our NFL North aficionado, our aficionado of all things Detroit rap. It's Steve Collins. Steve, how are you doing? I'm good. I had a early night last night. No hangover for me. Just uh, a, a burning pain of uh, more European uh, misery. Um, but we've got the Packers coming up on Monday Night Football. That's going to revive me. Uh, definitely. You know, we're all hoping for an upset. Whether it happens or not, we don't know. But all I know is it was really fun to see them get absolutely twonked the other day by the Saints. Absolutely love watching that. But. Um, yeah, so everyone's sort of pulling double duty to be here this evening. So uh, Steve has just done a podcast with a few Packers fans. Hopefully you've put them right in their place there. I've made sure that we reviewed the Packers-Saints game in, in minuscule detail, much to their discomfort. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think they, were, um, they were pretty pissed off Packers fans. Can I just interrupt by saying that Debt Fan Man on YouTube is just saying that they're struggling to hear you a little bit, and so I don't know if in Streamlabs you can just go to your audio input and turn up the volume slightly, perhaps for yourself. Um, it is as loud as it'll get. I'll just put it a little bit closer to me, and hopefully people will be able to. I've never had issues with it before. 
No, it's that no, facial no. growth just masking the, the mic. Yeah, no, I think we're there. I think I'll just need to talk a little louder. I know Hope. it happens during the college podcast as well. I think I just drop a little bit in tone, but... Hopefully, that fan man will let me know if that sorted it out, and and then we can move on from there. The other thing I just want to say is it's showing it in um in speaker view, which actually doesn't show you at all, Ant, because you're the host. So if you change the view in the top right of Zoom to gallery, we'll equally see each other, and they won't see so much of my ugly mug. There we go. Oh, Good stuff. Right. Lovely. Yeah. Sorry for the few things here. This is the very first time I've streamed this. I'm just giving Matt and I off as he's got a hangover. So uh, anyhow, we're going to crack on for the evening. So like I said, we're going to go through a few bit of Lions opinion pieces for this because there's been a lot going around Twitter this week and we need to get that discussed. We're going to go through a bit of Lions news and then we're going to dive right down into the Packers preview. So obviously, a few days have gone by now. Um, the San Francisco game was a roller coaster of highs and lows followed by a big high at the end. We just cut off was a shame but now that we've had sort of a few days to be able to settle on the result how how are you guys feeling now from you know and i know you did the podcast on monday but now that the results settled you know how are you feeling about that result and how are you feeling now about the season going forward has this changed anything for you from what you saw on sunday why, why don't you go first steve because i've had my say on this game already so um you know, I think um, uh, I wouldn't say I was I was criticised, but I was, there were a few um, a few jibes pointed at me about my pessimistic view. Uh, even though actually uh, a couple of the boys were even more pessimistic, I said we'd be like about a six and eleven team, and it kind of feels that that's where we are. Um, I think the biggest positive for me is contrast our performance against the Packers' performance. Um, you know, the Packers found themselves, you know, in a 30-point hole um, and they looked disconnected. They looked out of sync. Um, no one stepped up um, and Rogers was benched with 11 minutes to go. We found ourselves in a 28-point hole um, and we fought and we fought and we fought. And, you know, we scored two touchdowns, two two-point conversions, an onside kick. And we were in, the, in that game till, you know, the last few snaps, we were absolutely, you know, in it. While Jordan Love was on the field fumbling in the red zone, um, you know, we were absolutely um, f fighting for the win and we came up short, but, you know, we'd, we'd left ourselves too much to do. So from that point of view, as an organisation, I feel pretty good that Dan Campbell um, and his coaching team some of their kind of like fighting spirit is showing on the on the pitch. I mean, contrast that to the Jets game where we got blown out in Patricia's first start. I mean, the Jets were on us straight away and we ended up, I think, I don't know, was it 45 point, 45 to seven or something? We lost that game. With, it was flat as anything. So the fact that we fought and the fact that we competed is a plus for me. Um, I think Goff was exactly where we thought he would be. Um, you know, short throws, um, nothing too spectacular, but competent through one awful pick. Um, but other than that, he had a pretty decent game. Um, yeah, certainly in the second half. Uh, I think probably the biggest worry for me was the defence, that it wasn't quite as 
we didn't quite see the improvement that maybe we were hoping for. And obviously, the Akuda in the, uh, injury was like a real hammer blow, um, which is pro- probably the most significant event of, of week one for us. So I'm kind of okay. I'm, that's kind of where I'm. I'm kind of okay. I mean, to be fair, I do agree with a lot of what you say there. I think the biggest thing for me, even just after the game, but upon reflecting about it as well, the mentality that the players showed to be able to come back into that game. You know, we looked dead and buried with eight, nine minutes to go. You know, they looked like there was no route back into us for it. And we were, you know, almost full on that it was going to be running it out for a few minutes. But it was really good to see them knuckle down, keep going and, you know, be able to nearly pull off a miraculous win. But also, like you said, we dug ourselves in too deep a hole. And for me, this is where... This is where the concern lies. You know, I've had a think about it and, you know, in pre-season, two of the games there, we went down by a lot of points and ultimately we weren't able to dig ourselves out of that hole despite recovering in both games. You know, it was just a bit too much. And then in the first game of the season, once again, we go down by a lot of points and we're just not able to dig ourselves out. We didn't have enough time. If we'd have had another two or three minutes in that game, I could fully have seen us winning that one. The only reason you know we didn't convert was because we ran out of time. But you know, are we going to be able to stay in games close enough whilst their teams are playing at a hundred percent and not playing prevent defense? Uh, you know, for us to be able to really take a crack at hauling some of these leads in. So you know, hopefully we're going to see you know us be a little closer in this one. Because you go back to the Packers game. The first one last year, they put down 21 unanswered points on us in the second quarter, which just ended the game. We were too far behind. We were never able to get back. You know, are we going to be able to prevent something similar from that happening this weekend? And if we can keep within a score or two, then, you know, maybe we might have a chance if they start taking us a little easier as well. But apart from that, I think there was there was a lot to like. As I say, the mentality is big this year, seeing that change come into the team the never give up attitude the you know battle until the last you know that's one of the things we really need to see this year because it's what Dan Campbell's promised this team is going to be and he's delivering so far so yeah I think now that the dust has settled I'm quite happy from what's gone and obviously there is a bit to work on and we all knew that was going to be the case but going forward I think there are parts that we can be quite happy with I mean Matt I know you've already discussed it on the Monday, but now you've had a few more days just for the emotions to truly die down on this. Um, are you thinking anything differently to what you said on the Monday? Has anything else come to light? Anything else you thought about the performance and how that ranks for the season going forward? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I really like the mental toughness of this team. I think we've seen something to them that we saw throughout pre-season and it's carried over to the regular season. And that's really good to see the team is not going to feel beaten easily. I'm not going to say they're totally immune to that because, you know, if the Packers do what San Francisco did to us in the first three, three and a half quarters, that that could break them. So we'll see what happens on that front. But I'm encouraged by that so far. One thing I actually didn't get around to talking about on Monday was the fact that, so we did two podcasts on the Saturday as guests on San Francisco facing podcasts. So that was before the game, previewing it, putting the line side on things. And then the one of the places that I did by myself, 
they had a Twitter chat open. I think it's called Spaces on Twitter. I can't really remember, but there were, you know, 10 or so people on, nine 49ers fans, me. And I was easily the most positive person in the room. Like, they were distraught. Like, visibly shaken. Um, they they were sh- the, shaken to their foundation the fact that they thought that they were potential Super Bowl contenders and the fact that this team put 33 points on them really made them question how good they were as a team and that's what we did to them now that doesn't have any bearing on our season really we still took the L and we know this isn't a particularly good side and you can see that from the first three quarters but then you see that final quarter especially the final half of the final quarter and you think well if they can string that together, maybe we're not so bad. And in fact, in the entirety of the first quarter, it looked good too. Running the ball, the number of times we got those 10, 20-yard runs in was really impressive. So we've got to be able to knit together a full game. And let's not forget that that was Patricia's problem as well, apart from it was in reverse. Patricia always seemed to manage to score first, like pretty much always. Touchdown in the very first drive in like five or six straight games to start the season. And then he'd fall away in the second half of the games. I'm hoping that we can sort this out early on. And we looked okay, but we just couldn't hang with San Francisco. I thought our defense played much better than last year. I know that we have 41 hung on us. But just using the eye test, I saw that some guys out there were making mistakes still, but they weren't the same mistakes as last year. They have seen some progression. As we move through the year, I think that will continue. So I've got hope. I'll, I'll, I'll say that it, it, the game has given me hope, but I do fear for this Monday. I think um, just picking out a couple of real positives that we can bring with us into this game. Um, first of all, the kind of one-two punch of Swift and Williams. That that felt to me quite dynamic and different than anything we've seen um, in the backfield for at least a, you know two or three seasons. Um, you know, like a genuine threat. I thought Williams was really good. Uh, you know, Swift has been carrying these injuries, but you saw his turn of, of speed um, for his touchdown. And I think if Goff can like link those two up with Hawkinson, that's a real sort of powerful little triangle um, that that I think will be really successful for us. And I think the other thing, I'm I'm, I'm not sure if we talked about it. On, on the pod, but Saul against Bosa, like, you know, Saul was pretty good, pretty good. Like, I think he allowed one pressure and was kind of complicit in one sack, but towards the end of the game. But I mean, Nick Bosa, you know, he is a weapon. He's, he's always talked about in sort of, you know, all pro conversations and Saul kind of handled him pretty well. And this is in his first game at left tackle after apparently only having you know, seven days of practice in the position. So, you know, that that is a really good sign. Well, to be honest, that kind of segues as well into our next part. Obviously, we'll leave the 49ers now. That's happened. We need to start looking forward. But there have been a lot of, you know, that, you know big discussion points this week on Lions Twitter um, regarding a few people. And Penny Sewell is the result of one of those. Obviously, he had a really good game at left tackle he played incredibly well I think he was the highest graded rookie of the week and 
that has led to some saying that he now needs to stay at left tackle permanently and then that is putting into you know putting up into the air the future of Taylor Decker now if you'd have said to me 18 months ago that I would be fighting on a hill for Taylor Decker to stay in this team I would probably have laughed at you. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to try and deny that he was never my favourite player. And when we gave him the massive contract that we did, I thought it was totally overblown. Matt will happily tell you that. We used to have a lot of discussions on that. But Taylor Decker last year played incredibly well. He justified that contract absolutely. You know, every penny that we paid him, he earned that. He played really well. He's developed well on this team. He's one of the team's best players. Period. Now, after one game, for people to be saying that Taylor needs to be... I mean, I've seen that he needs to go to right tackle and he needs to deal with it. Some people are saying he should be traded. I think this is absolutely, for me, unreal. He is one of the best players on this team. You can win an NFC Championship with Taylor Decker as your left tackle. I think it's just because there are elite guys in this league... You know, like your David Bakhtiaris, who had an absolutely amazing season. He gets forgotten about a little bit, but he is up there as one of the best left tackles going. And to see him disrespected in the way he has been by people saying we should trade him, by people saying we should just move him to right tackle and he should like it. For me, Saul stays on the right. That is why we drafted him, to be right tackle for the foreseeable future. But for me, it also brings into account now the bigger question. If we have drafted Sewell and we didn't think he was going to work on the right and he's going to go straight to the left, we've wasted a draft pick just slightly upgrading our left tackle. And I don't think that's the way this team needs to be going. For me, they need to stay where they are. I know Hank Fraley has come out and said that Taylor Decker is the left tackle, and I totally agree with that. But for me, all this talk of trade is horrendous, especially for one of the, you know, most loyal players on this team. And he's a really good player. This is not me backing Terrell Crosby like I did. He was, he had his ceiling, but Taylor Decker is a lot better. And, you know, I don't think this conversation should be happening, but are there any dissenting voices here? What do you guys think with this Taylor Decker situation and what's been said about him and what's been suggested with the tackles altogether? Um, for me, this is a massively tedious argument um, and completely pointless one to be having after 60 minutes of football. Um, first of all, Decker's going to be out for a few weeks. So let's see what Saul does over the next few weeks. Let's not make a massive judgment based on one performance. Um, and secondly, let's worry about Decker coming back and where he plays when he gets back on the field. I mean, do we do we have to like you know sew this up like by the start of week two? You know, Saul's got Saul needs time to develop. The O line needs time to gel together. They need time to practice together. They need time to you know kind of like review the tape on games. You know, analyze where the strengths and weaknesses are. We don't need to decide this in between week one and week two. This is something. You know, leave it to Hank Fraley, leave it to Dan Campbell to make these decisions over the course of the season. No, we do not want to trade Taylor Decker. Like, I saw some of the chat on social media and it's just, like, brainless. You know, we absolutely do not want to be trading Taylor Decker. Decker and Saul together, 
they they should uh, with Rag now and Jonah Jackson. This is an O line that that is going to be together for three, four, five seasons. Um, you know, we've got one question mark on the O line, um, and and that's the one that we should be focusing on fixing, not trying to sort out non-existent problems. And you know, the talk of trading Decker is ridiculous. I think really positive week for Saul. We just all need to calm down. I think for me, there's instead of trying to decide it now, trying to figure out what the range of outcomes are and what we do in each one is worth doing as just a kind of hypothetical. I don't mean to say do that now, but it's perfectly within the realms of possibility that we have two left tackles. I mean, I, th- I think everyone agreed that at the moment we have two left tackles because Saul played there through college and Deck has played there the last seven years and hasn't taken a snap right tackle in seven years. Like, it's a problem. It's a good problem. We're going to try and train one at right tackle, whether that's Decker or so. One of those things has to happen. So there's absolutely an outcome which says either one of them could be a bad right tackle. Like That's perfectly viable. And if that's the case, one kind of has to go or get kicked inside the guard and be one of the most wasted players. So... It's something that needs to cross the minds of the guys in the front office at Allen Park that this could be a problem. And, you know, okay, fine. And if it is a problem, well, they drafted Saul. So Decker's going to be on his way. Like, that's not a choice, I don't think. So you've got to hope one works out of right tackle. Now, if you have a look at their skill sets, if you have a look at the way they play, I think that Saul translates more naturally as a right tackle than Decker does, just because I think Saul is probably better in the run, Decker's better in the pass, Saul's slightly smaller. Like, it all just kind of adds up to that. But just because the logic of the situation says that that should work out like that doesn't mean it will. I mean, when it comes to reversing your feet movement and that sort of thing, it could just be that Decker is better at that. And if that's true, they need to work it out quickly. Because if they do and have two really, really good tackles, this team could be set up for, and I said in, in the DLP Slack chat, a decade. But I would say the best part of the next decade. So uh, Decker is 28, and you know tackles can play into their mid to late 30s if they look after themselves. So for you know this next six or seven years, if we get this right, it could be fantastic. But if not, Decker's off. And I hate saying that because... Ant knows, he alluded to the fact that I've been one of Decker's biggest forces here. I absolutely love the bloke. And his ceiling is best left tackle in the NFL. But Saul's on the cheaper contract. It's, it's really, really hard. But there's, a, there's another possibility, which is that Saul was a star at left tackle. And you, know, you said that Decker's never taken a snap at right tackle in seven seasons. You know, if we're coming into the Packers in week 18 and we're 5 and 11, try Deco at right like, tackle. Give him a yeah. game and see how he performs. You know, we've, we've got time to experiment. You know, I, I don't think we're going to be fighting for a playoff spot in week 17, week 18, you know. So let's let's give the, the guys some real-time reps, not just kind of like practice reps. And let's see. Let's let's see how what they can do. Yeah, they should fuck about with it and just see what I think that would be really good, actually, especially if we are out of contention early. Let's find where our future is then. 
I think the thing that really irked me about this, I get, you know, obviously you need to play your best players there, but, you know, Lions fans for one, especially the ones that I'm seeing who've been behind this, they're the first ones to bemoan the franchise for the way they've treated players in the past. You know, obviously, you know, we're going to go on to it in a minute. Certain players here haven't been treated the best by the franchise and they use this as a battering stick for them. But for someone like Taylor Decker, who has developed the way he has, is one of the best at his position and has done nothing wrong for this franchise in the last few years. After 60 minutes of football, they're just like trading, throwing to yeah. right tackle. And if he doesn't like it, his fault, his problem, his attitude issue, he's got to deal with it. He's got to go. It's like... Massive knee-jerk. Massive yeah. knee-jerk. Yeah, of course. And, and I know we're different over here because we have a lot more loyalty to players. You know, we see them develop, we keep them. We don't just replace them with next best available. And I know, and I know it's not the way it's done over there, but I just think the way that some people have completely and utterly dismissed him is the same way that people criticise the franchise for what they did to players in the past. They've just completely written them off and said, bye-bye, you know, you're done. So, you know, I, I don't know what remains to be seen, but... For me, it just makes no sense whatsoever. You know, the people who have been saying that we should trade him, they said, oh, we'll get a first for him. But if you're trading the 28-year-old tackle, tackle for a first, you're saying that he's a great tackle. You don't trade him for that higher value at that age. And they're saying that his age is an issue going forward, but we've just seen Anthony Constanzo. He's just retired at, what, 33, 34? But he was one of the most underrated left tackles in the league for years Taylor Decker has at least five good years of productivity left, and if we're not challenging within five years, I'd be worried. So we absolutely can play a part in this. That's why this argument for me falls on deaf ears. You know, the arguments they're giving to get rid of him are just null and void. But we'll why, would, see. why would you trade a 28 year old star tackle who is proven, proven exactly. he's done it, been there, done it, for a draft pick for a hypothetical, potentially okay tackle that could be good but could be a bust why would you do that exactly okay so my argument here is that we would we would be talking about a hypothetical trade i want to see the details of that trade that someone will give because if it's one first it's an automatic rejection that's just not worth it if you start getting into the two firsts discussion which i think that someone of decker's quality could command to a team that's competing if you start telling me that we can get another two first round picks young guys who can be here for the full rebuild when we're actually competing on a much lower contract we eat a little bit of dead cat when we're not competing still and then we've got three or four years of salary controlled players who are hopefully going to work out you give me two shots at that i'm interested because the offer is better than what you're getting back and the timeline makes sense. Now, I'm not saying do it, but I'm saying the offer makes the difference. Like, you can't just say, oh, trading doesn't make sense. Because if I offer you four first-round picks for any player on your team, you'll say yes. So there's a price for everyone. You, the, yeah. the conversation needs to move on more than just trading the bad, because it's too simple. Yeah, I, I understand there's a price for everyone. But, you know, the, the Raiders spent, um, you know, spent a pick a first round pick on Alex Leatherwood and he looked fucking awful. So, you know. <laughs> I thought he did all right. Isn't, isn't that a thing for most Raiders first round picks though? Farrell was healthy scratch the other day and he's only been there three years. <laughs> I saw someone there just call him a Clellan farewell on Twitter the other day, which I thought was beautiful. 
<laughs> Anyhow, we'll move this on because we've spent a lot of time on this one. So, obviously, a few other issues come up this week. I mean, I'm just going to gloss over this one because we've talked about it so many times. But once again, Calvin Johnson's been brought up front and centre in the media. I want my 1.6 million. I don't want to work for it. The team, you've got to work for it because it's part of the salary cap. And, you know, we can't just give the money to you. You know, I, I sort of... Um, compared this to, you know, just this is like the line, it's their tale as old as time. I don't think we're ever going to hear the end of this, and I think we're all at the point where we're fed up now. But I don't know, has anyone got anything else to put towards that, or shall we just skirt over this one? Because if, if you were to ask me at the end of June, uh, with the, the draft long gone and still months to go to, you know, to the, to the start of the season, ask me at the end of the June, am I interested in what Calvin Johnson is doing now? I might have a tiny, tiny flicker of interest that might last like four seconds. Ask me in week one of the new football season. I've got absolutely no interest in anything that Calvin Johnson's got to say. Yeah, I have something to add. <laughs> very good, Thanks. very good. We'll, we'll move that on. Hopefully, the, bang, the, the Ravens game is coming up soon. He's going to come to Ford Field. Hopefully, they can get something sorted then and we can stop hearing about it. But why they keep dragging it up? I don't know. I swear it's just a thing to batter the Lions with as if we don't need, you know, any other things in life to be criticised for. But I'll move on to the last one. Now, I don't know how much you discussed this on Monday, Matt, but this is another that's been getting a lot of airtime this week. And that is obviously Aubrey Pleasant and Jeff Okuda, the widely circulated video, the one we all saw of him laying into him absolutely just, you know, tearing into him over that mistake he made when he got caught inside and we gave up the touchdown. Obviously no one saw afterwards when they hugged, when they embraced, but a lot of people have been jumping in on this, including very sadly Glover Quinn. I absolutely love Glover Quinn, but he said that it's a sign that nothing's changing in Detroit. You know, the attitude's staying the same, the same old mistakes have been made. And, you know, respectfully, I disagree with him on this one because, you know, he's one of my favorite Lions players ever. I love him to bits, but is is this a, just a massive overreaction to what you know to what went on to what we saw in the national media, or or is there a just concern over what's gone on Pleasant? Because all of the defensive backs have come to his defence. They're all saying how great he is, how well he gets on with them. You know, is this just the media once again trying to stir up a pot against us, or are you a little more concerned now you're seeing all these guys coming out and saying actually there's a problem? I mean, you know, where do we even start on this? Um, some of the the takes have just been so bad in terms of the criticism of Pleasant. One of the key things about coaching is there is no right or wrong style of coaching. It is completely situational dependent on the player and the relationship between the coach and the player and how a player responds. What are a player's learning preferences what are their communication preferences? That is the key to coaching. And every player is different. And the more you know a player, the more you understand how you need to coach them. And for people with absolutely zero um, you know, awareness of the player in question or the coach in question, to be giving these takes saying, he's doing that wrong, he's doing that wrong. It's just like brainless, absolute moronic. Like you don't know anything about coaching let the coaches coach i think that grover quinn has just done his best matt Derry impression 
And I say that with the greatest respect to Glover Quinn, because I've loved him as a player. But he is going on to Instagram Live being a clickbait artist. Sorry, but you don't have a clue, mate. You're not in that locker room. Like Steve's been saying, how does this player react best to this? And it's what if Artu Melifonru came out and said, the guys in the secondary were asked about their opinions on Pleasant because of what happened in the press conferences. And to a man, they came out and said, Aubrey is one of the best coaches we've ever worked with. He deals with us differently depending on how he thinks we'll best react to it. Sometimes it's tough love. And, you know, sometimes that's appropriate. But we all get treated differently depending on the circumstances. And you know what? That doesn't mean that Jeff liked what happened. Right? Both of those things can be true. But at the end of the day, Akuda ain't going to give him a kind of embrace afterwards if he's pissed off at him. And you know what? Maybe Akuda needed a bit of shouting at. Like, sorry, lad. It's a professional sport. Like, if you're offended by that, go cry somewhere else. Like, and he seemed to be fine. The worst part about this all is that he actually got injured in the game, doesn't hit the rest of the season, can't prove that he's learned something. Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, it's been another gross overreaction. So I think we all knew at the time that, you know, this is just how it is. You want to see this kind of passion from your coaches and from your players. And it, it was a bad mistake that he made which gave up a touchdown. So, you, you know, you don't want to see Matt Patricia there just with his pencil in his ear, not doing anything about it. You want to see a coach going up and holding them accountable. So, again, yeah, for me, it was just seeing all these guys come out. I think it's just fashionable to lay into us, really, isn't it? You know, with, with situations like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Akuda went out and made a play straight after that. Um, but, yeah, I'm... I'm absolutely gutted about his injury. Um, you know, I'm sure he's going to come back. He, he seems to me that that kind of gritty kind of guy. But um, yeah, that that was a, a a real tough tough blow. For, I mean, not just for the team, but for Akuda, absolutely heartbreaking. So I really yeah. wanted to see him do well this year. And the last thing that he needs is like a you know a fake controversy about you know an absolute non-issue. I think the worst part is it just sort of gives credence to those who said, oh, you drafted him too high, always a bust. You know, we got all this with TJ the other year and he came up and silenced his doubters in the biggest way possible. And it's just a shame that Akuda's not going to be able to do that now for at least 12 months. But, you know, we're going to have to wait and see how he comes back, I guess. Yeah. Um, Dan on, on Twitch, Dan Pask, big follower of all of the Detroit Lions podcasts, just said, I like what Dan said in his press conference. He said he liked it and he didn't like it in terms of that reaction. Went into a bit more detail than that, but I do agree with that take. And one thing I consistently love about Dan Campbell is you know what he thinks because he tells you. It's great. So. Yeah, absolutely. So anyhow, we'll move this on. So we've obviously had a lot of bits to discuss there over some you know bits that have happened with the Lions during the week. We're going to move on to a little bit of news now. Then we're going to dive straight down into the crux of the episode. Obviously, the preview of Green Bay coming up. So in terms of the news, there's not a great deal gone on this week. We've had some moves on the roster. Um, Sage Surratt has been released, You know, the wide receiver. He seems to be one of those who's coming and going at the minute. We have, however, signed to the practice squad a cornerback, and that is Daryl Worley. Um, he was drafted by the Panthers, I believe, in 2016. He's played 66 games 
54 of them as starts, five interceptions, 37 passes defended, a fumble recovery, two sacks, 265 total tackles, 10 of which were for a loss, and two quarterback hits. Um, today, oh, it was either today or yesterday, Will Holden, the offensive tackle, he's been signed to the active roster from the practice squad. Obviously, we do need depth at tackle badly, so that's really not much of a surprise. And Tommy Kramer's found his way back to the practice squad. Obviously, he was part of the match day squad for the first game. Um, they released him. He's worked his way back again. I would you know, expect us to see that probably a few more times this year with him and, you know, we needing depth on the O-line for game days. Um, Daryl Worley, now, he had a good start to his career and, you know, he seems to he seems to have fallen on hard times. Obviously, he's had the issues with the police, you know, he's had some um, police issues and he's had a couple of injury issues as well, but, I mean, would would you expect to see him in the squad? So obviously, we really need veteran help at corner. I mean, are you guys excited by this one? Do you reckon he could resurrect his career here, or is, are we just looking at another guy who's coming in who's not anywhere near as good as he used to be, and we're probably just gonna leave him on the practice squad? I mean, I almost expect to see Ryan McCluskey appear at corner for the Lions. Um, you know, given the the current situation, he's on um, IR. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I the only thing I remember about Worley was uh, that one-handed interception um, from Stafford. Uh, well, I think maybe three seasons ago when he was playing for the Raiders, and he he did an absolutely amazing kind of acrobatic one-handed interception of Stafford. I think, um, and then he got into like a push and shove with Kenny Golladay afterwards. There was obviously some words exchanged, but um, you know, the guy's got talent. Um, but you know, when when you see the kind of like off-field issues, you always have that kind of like seed of doubt. Um, but you know, we need talent, and we particularly need talent in our secondary. So, for for me, let's give the guy a go. I think for me, it's low risk, high reward, for sure. I mean, the guy's proven that he can play at this level at least at some point in his career, and it seems like the majority of his fall in quality has been related to his off-field issues. I don't think that Campbell's going to put the the locker room mentality at risk by signing someone. So presumably they've talked to him. They don't think there's going to be a cancer in there. I, I hope not, because that's the number one thing right now. I don't care if you win or lose games, but the locker room's got to stay as one. So as long as that's not a risk to this, then I love it. Like, you can sit on the practice squad all year and just learn the scheme and perhaps be a big part of things to come. Or, I mean, he's the most experienced guy on our secondary. Already, like he's more experienced than Aurorie, and he's our CB one. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him elevated on Monday. Well, to the active roster. I think the the thing to think is obviously we have one open spot left on the roster currently, and they don't seem to be in a position to fill it. So I wonder if they're going to give him a few days and then elevate him because obviously we do need help at corner now. I know they're talking about giving Ify more snaps, which can only be good for the long run, but. I think, especially when you're coming up against this fearsome and offense coming up, you've got to have a guy with experience in there, would know how who's been there and done it. So, you know, I I would probably expect to see him going forward, but but we'll see. Um, we'll get through the rest of the news. There's not much left. Um, Tyrell Williams, he's in concussion protocol at the minute. I don't know what his situation was on Monday, but it has been updated during the week. He's still in it at the moment, and as of today, Dan Campbell didn't seem optimistic about him making the fixture on Monday night football but he says the situation is day-to-day -day and that might change but 
it didn't sound positive, which is going to be a blow for the Lions wide receiver core because obviously they need everyone they can get at the minute. But in a little bit of better news, um, some stats came out the other day uh, about the blitz rates in the league. Now, obviously, the one thing we always criticised Matt Patricia for was he never blitzed, ever. We never put pressure on quarterbacks and we just allowed them all the time in the world to throw at us. And you can just never understand why he never tried to blitz more well. First game this week, obviously, Aaron Glenn is known for schematically, you know, blitzing a lot. And the Lions ended up leading the league in blitzing on passing plays this week. Uh, it was 15 of 28 plays they blitzed on. We did only get the one sack to show for it, but we did get three quarterback hits, a few quarterback hurries as well. So we did have a little bit of success, but I think it's just nice to see us blitzing for a change, isn't it? Just you know, changing it up, trying to get at the quarterback after years of not expecting anything in the uh, in the department of trying to get at the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, the, that, that kind of like anodyne um, sort of, you know, beige Patricia defence was just so bad to watch because you just never felt like anyone was going to make a play. Um, and the fact that we are like, you know, we're using blitzing as part of our kind of, uh, schemes in our arsenal. For me, that can only be a good thing. Um, and um, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. And it's going to be interesting to see what players really contribute and, and can you know be productive. Um, but, you know, it's it's only one game. We're up against a pretty decent O-line. Um, let's, let's see. We've got a, a lot weaker O-lines coming in the next few weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what, what happens. Yeah, I, I love it, but I do think it's easy to have a high blitz rate when the quarterback only drops back 28 times. Like, I would expect that rate to go down if they actually had to pass a bit more. I think them going out to a big lead early just allowed them to kind of sit back and we had to take advantage in passing situations to create pressure. It was a necessity of the situation we put ourselves in as well as the schematics of how Glenn likes to run his defense. So I think it was a perfect storm for us to be really high on blitz rate in that game. Uh, in the closer games, I expect to see a bit more of a balance, but it's encouraging for sure. I mean, blitzing creates opportunities as well as opportunities for the offense to burn you, and we saw that against San Francisco. But, you know, this, especially when you have a lack of talent, you need to blitz. It's, it's undeniable, and we saw what happened in the last few years when you don't do that. The best teams in the league don't have to blitz because they're from three or four, get it done and you can drop into coverage and and you know you can cover everything and we saw that from the best teams in history but if you don't have that you've got to blitz and you've got to be creative and glenn does that so optimistic that we can pull off a few surprise wins through that because it makes actually a more lucky team both positively and negatively but we need that positive one so I don't think it helped that obviously I think Garoppolo was throwing it so quick as well so I think even when we were blitzed he was getting out in about 2.3, 2.4 seconds something like that, it was really quick so I'd be interested to see if they carry it on though against Aaron Rodgers because he doesn't throw as fast generally but and their O-line's not as good but we wait to see, I think it's just nice to see them change it up after so many years of just sheer dull, boring defensive schemes that get you nowhere so 
anyhow, we'll move it on. So that's all the news really for this week. So we're going to go into the Green Bay preview now. So obviously Monday Night Football, the Lions are going to Lambeau. We, you know, we always love this occasion because, you know, when we get there, the refs are waiting with a big blue glove waiting to do a little cavity search on us because, you know, they just like to screw us when we're up there. But, you know, Green Bay... I know they got absolutely hammered last week. They're still 12, well, 11 and a half point favourites for this one. Most places I've been seeing anyhow. Um, I think we'll just start this one off. We were asked this on our chat earlier. And I'll probably go to you, Steve, because you know, you, you do your NFC North a lot. Just first of what what went wrong with Green Bay on Sunday? Because I don't think anyone was expecting that result, especially with no more Drew Brees in New Orleans and Jameis, famous Jameis taking over, they got absolutely destroyed and I don't think anyone saw that coming. What what went wrong for them? Well, I think um, I think when something goes as badly wrong as it did for the Packers, you kind of have to look at the leadership. And, you know, let's remember the leader on the field is a guy called Aaron Rodgers. And this is a guy who has spent the summer mithering and moaning and grumbling and taking shots at the front office. This is a guy who, you know, has skipped OTAs, um, has turned up at camp looking like some kind of like homeless hobo hipster, um, has, you know, then laid into his, his organization um, via a very salty press conference, not taking any snaps in the preseason. Um, you know, and, and despite the fact that apparently he, even though he spent the entire summer working on his like mental health, um, you know, he kind of turned up looking massively undercooked, really rusty. Now, I, I know that a lot of veterans, that's the kind of way they come into the season and, and that Rogers isn't alone. But the whole team seemed to have taken on this persona because, you know, the Packers looked out of sync in every department. Um you know, they, they just couldn't get any offense going. Um, I thought Lafleur, you know, panicked and bailed on his own run game because I think between Dylan and Aaron Jones, I think they had nine carries for 28 yards um, and they just stopped running the ball and, and just, you know, just tried to, to throw everything. Yeah, they, they got themselves in a massive hole, but, you know, they effectively signaled to the Saints how they were going to try and get out of it. And, um, you know, the Saints have got a fairly decent secondary. I, I think the other thing that probably, like, even more concerning was the defence. So you, you look at the box score, that the Packers did not get a single sack, turnover, interception, tackle for loss. Um, it was absolutely... Um, you, you know, toothless performance. Um, they got rid of Mike Pettin in the in the off season, um, and they brought in Joe Barry. He's meant to be the guy that's bringing the heat, bringing the energy. I mean, I, I just saw nothing. I saw absolutely nothing. Jameis Winston was able to do exactly what he wanted. Um, you know, you look at the PFF grades, and there's Kevin King uh, racking up a forty-six point eight in the in the secondary yet again getting torched for a couple of big TDs. Um, whereas I don't think Stokes, who's their new um, you know, first-round pick, saw much of the ball at all. Uh, it just kind of feels like more of the same crap on defence. Um, 
you know, I'm I'm sure they're going to come at the Lions, you know, back at Lambeau full force. But there seemed to me uh, there was a lot of areas of concern for the Packers. And, you know, I've had to endure a lot of Packers football over the last few seasons. And there's not often you see them looking as bad as that. Yeah, sorry. Um, Packers, it was it was hilarious, wasn't it? It was just oh, yeah. like, just watch it and enjoy. I mean, the thing is, it, it's so hard being in the position where you actually have to talk about it and people are going to watch you and listen to you talk about it. Because on some level, I just wanted to sit back and enjoy it. And then on another level, I thought, I'm learning absolutely nothing from this game. All I see is the Packers are absolutely shite. And I'm going to go and watch a game that's actually competitive because that's more interesting. I, I, I hate to say it, the Packers are so bad, I got bored. Like, it ceased to be funny. I can't believe it did, but I'm just like, whatever. Like, I just got nonplussed by it. They were so bad. Um, I think it's probably mainly due to just Rogers skipping time. And I don't think he's quite on the same page as receivers. I worry about, you know, the fact that they've got a, a long week to kind of prep against us because God knows they're going to be on it because they cannot afford to lose against the Lions. If they do, they will be the laughing stock of the league because, you know what, I saw on, um, I can't remember where it was, it was a tweet, I think it might have been from ESPN, it was things we learned from week one and there were only four and the third one was Detroit Lions this team's not rolling over or something to that effect. This team isn't a pushover. That tells you where everyone thought we were before and where we are now, but we're still kind of down there. Whereas the Packers, everyone's kind of gone, oh, well, it's week one and, and weird things happen. If they lose to us, all bets are off with the Packers. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that we beat them so badly that the next few weeks are kind of shocking to them and Rogers seriously considers retirement. I, if, if they I, lose to if they lose to us, their next two games are away at the 49ers and then they've got the Steelers coming to Lambeau. They could I mean, be 0-4. Oh, imagine, imagine the the massive gut laugh that I would generate if that happened. It would be just beautiful. We could have a podcast that's a review of this show uh, of this game on Tuesday, and it could be like an hour of just us laughing uncontrollably with no analysis. Because none's required. It's just fucking happy people. I think I love it. I think for me, this is this is just the curse of the fantasy football running back for me. I mean, two years ago it was Alvin Kamara. I got in the first round. He had a terrible year. He was wonderful last year. Last season I got Ezekiel Elliott, who was absolutely terrible. This year I got Aaron Jones, thinking, yeah, I'm going to get a lot of points with him. Didn't even rush for ten yards. In how many games does Aaron Jones not rush for ten yards? It just never happens. Um, the Packers' longest run was eight yards. The longest run in the entire game. Yeah, well, you we know... We beat that in the first rush. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, <laughs> you, you were mentioning there, you know, if we can win this. Well, you know, let's move into that now because that's what we're here for. So we'll look at the offence and then we'll look at the defence. And I know the Saints have given us a picture-perfect example of how you beat them, but obviously different standard of play here with us we maybe don't have some of the high caliber options that they do but offensively you know what are we going to have to do to win this game against the Packers well you know where are we really going to have to stand out and be able to hurt them you know if we are going to pull off an improbable win 
when it comes down to it, we just have to run the ball, right? If we can keep Rodgers off the field, I mean, he needs to get his chemistry back with his receivers. He's going to do that by being on the field, keep him off the field then. If we can demoralise that, you know, green, this Green Bay team is not set up to defend the run. We know that. We've heard that before. They don't care about defending the run as long as they can defend the pass. Well, just don't throw it then. Just keep running it down their throats until they give up. And they've got one of the worst linebacking core in the NFC North. Um, you know, I mean, that's their position of weakness, linebackers. Um, but, you know, interestingly, their safeties look, looked a mess. Their safeties didn't look on the same page against, um, you know, a, a, against the, uh, the Saints. And, and that's really unusual because normally like Adrian Amos, um, you know, he's absolutely on point. Um, but it, they just looked disorganised and um, just not at the races. So, yeah, absolutely. We've got Swift and Williams, probably one of the best one-two punches in the, you know, in the NFC. Um, and we can get them. And like I said, with add Hawkinson into that, um, you know, and, and that will then shift some of the coverage um, away from double teaming our receivers. And, you know, we could have some interesting one-on-one matchups. Yeah, I think the big thing is, you know, obviously the Packers' run defense has been terrible for years now. You know, going all the way back to that first NFC Championship game against San Francisco when Mostert got about 230 yards and God knows how many touchdowns. Still funny to watch, but, you know, they made a championship game, so we maybe can't laugh so much. But, yeah, it's something they've just never fixed. And I think Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift are obviously going to be huge this week. You saw what Camera did to them the week gone. You know, he just got that many yards against them that they were able to, you know, do the play action. And, you know, Winston is a much better quarterback than he's given credit for, but he didn't have to do that much. I mean, he threw five touchdowns, and it was less than 150 yards he threw, wasn't it? You know, you don't need to rely on your quarterback so much in those situations. He just has to do the basics if your run game's going. Yeah, and, and their their best player in their front seven, I think, is Zedarius Smith. Um, and... You know, he's apparently he's carrying a back injury. He, he was rumoured not to play in week one. Uh, yeah, people are saying that he, he might not be here for week two. There's also, again, like a very tedious narrative about him not being named a team captain. And apparently he's had like a, a captain's chain tattoo uh, to kind of like stick two fingers up. So, again, it just sounds like there's rumblings in that locker room of discontent. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays out. But that does not sound a happy place. No, I mean, sorry. Sorry, I was about to say, actually, that front seven, you know, you've got Kenny Clark in there. He's the best nose tackle the league has to offer. I think that's one of the really big battles this week. Ragnar versus Kenny Clark. I think if he can get the better of him, because Kenny Clark has the ability to collapse a pocket. He has the ability to disrupt your run game. And, you know, I don't like praising Packers players. But he is really good. He's what I want McNeil to be for us and what I think he can be. But I think that's one of the biggest battles we're going to see this week. And we know Ragnow is up to the task. And if he can keep him quiet and we can run it through the middle, get into their inside linebacker core, like you said, is not the best in the world. I think that that is definitely one of the big the big keys on there, isn't it? I mean, for me, anyhow. I only see one winner in that matchup, and his name's not Kenny Clark. I think that the funny thing about this game, when you break it down, is that both the offense versus the defense is a mismatch on both sides. 
I do not see how our defense matches up particularly well with their offense, especially in the receiver core. Our secondary is easily our weakest point, but also our linebackers don't really do very well in pass coverage. What are we going to do against their wide receivers? Like That's a proper worry of mine. But equally, <laughs> Green Bay can't defend the center of the field. That's where we're really strong. So you have a look at passing the ball to either of our running backs or TJ Hawkinson. Who's getting that assignment? Like, we should, that pass should be on all, one of those two passes, either to a running back or tight end, should be on all day. So how are either side going to stop each other? Like, I want to slam the over on this game because I think it's going to be really high scoring. But last week I said slam the under because these teams are both really defensive. They don't like to score very much. And Parker Reed, we've got, we've got 74 points. So clearly, since I think it's going to be the over, it's going to be a really defensive affair with not much scoring because I'm always wrong with this. If, if you look at the PFF grades for uh, the Packers' kind of offensive core last week, uh, Tonyan 44.2, Alan Lazard, 50.3. I mean, that's that's not frightening me. Well, you know, I we'll get we'll get onto the defensive matchup in a minute, but I know what you mean. There are there are weaknesses there, but you know, we will see. So I think offensively we can agree that the run game needs to be on point just to take the pressure off Goff and allow him to make the throws because they've got really good guys in that secondary when they're on point, you know, some really elite guys and we need to isolate them as much as possible. So just to finish off the offensive look at this, obviously Dan Campbell has mentioned about mismatches in the past, exploiting those, and, and we got challenged by Ashley. He's probably watching with us. You are right, Ash, hope you're doing well. He wanted us to do a little matchup predictor where we predict who we're going to put up against some of their guys, both offensively and defensively. Defensively, getting my tongue twisted there. So I've picked out a few guys from this defense who we need to be, you know, concerned about and wonder who we're going to match up against them to try and make the best of this. So the first guy we've got, obviously, you've, you start with their defense. You have to start with Jair Alexander. I think he's just an all-round elite cornerback one of the best in the business. I mean, if you're looking for a guy on our roster, possibly, who's going to be able to go up against him and give him trouble, who... <laughs> I know it's a very hard question, but who would you pick? I mean, I know, Steve, you watch a little bit more of them as well. Is there any glaring weaknesses that our players can expose there? Who would you put on him? If you... I'm, I'm afraid not. I'm, I'm afraid. I, I think that Jerang Alexander is probably right up there arguably better at times in certain situations than Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I think he's an, a, a, an excellent player. I think he's the star of their whole defence and I don't think we've got anyone on the roster that can match up with him. I, I would just send out some decoys and, and just try and throw the ball as far away from him as possible. <laughs> just just, just lay to... some super glue on his shoes or something like that, try and slow him down a bit. Just to say, after we finish speaking about the defense, the um, the injury report has dropped, so we can talk about that just oh, after right. this little segment. I'll find um, that in a minute. Cool. Um, so Jair, uh, with with that, I think that the thing is, you can't stop Jair traveling wherever he wants to. So you know, your your receivers are going to line up where they line up, and Jair is going to choose one. I think the problem is that. None of our receivers are better than any of the other receivers, really, as far as I've seen. Um, the player that might give him the most trouble is someone like Quintez Evers. I mean, he's got the sort of skill set that you don't often see from receivers anymore in terms of reasonable speed, big body, can box people out. 
he's going to beat people like Tyrell Williams if Williams is in there, I think, because he just matches up well to that skill set. But I like, I don't say I like Quintus Cephas in that matchup. I like Cephas more than any of our other receivers in that matchup. But respectfully, don't throw Alexander's way all game. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree here. I'm, I'm sorry, Ash, but, you know, there's, you know, just don't throw to him full stop because he is that good. Um, to someone who maybe is a little bit more vulnerable, who we can target, and this was one of my draft crushes, but Eric Stokes, the other cornerback. Green Bay have been trying to find another cornerback to pair with Jair Alexander for years, and they have failed so many times to find that guy. Now, Stokes is lightning quick. Obviously, the thing is, Eric Stokes go fast, but obviously... Eric Stokes grab a lot when he shouldn't as well. You know, he's got a lot of speed, but he's got a lot of, you know, holding calls, you know, especially in college. You know, who, who are you pairing up against him? I think obviously you want someone who's maybe a bit shifty, maybe a bit, you know, prone to giving a surprise out there to keep him going, but also has the speed to be able to deal with him as well. Who, who would you pair up on Eric Stokes if we're going to go and try and target him? I kind of wonder how many snaps Stokes is going to take. Um, I, you know, I think um, I'm just not sure that they're going to use him. I think they're going to keep Kevin King in, like, amazingly. I mean, you know, uh, I think in terms of uh, last week, I think he only played, he only took eight snaps. Um, you know, Alexander took 56, King 56, Chandon Sullivan 35, Stokes eight. So I, we'll see. There's just something that very Packers about having someone like Kevin King on the roster and repeatedly playing him. So I'm kind of hoping we don't see much of Stokes. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with Steve's actually what I was going to say about the lack of snaps. But if he plays, he's going to get beaten by someone like Amon Ra because Amon Ra wins with intelligence, with route running. And that's going to be, you know, powerful against someone whose main strength is speed. You you beat them with your footwork. So I'd, I'd look to see Amon Ra in that matchup. If it's King, any of our receivers can do that. So I'm not worried about King. Yeah, against the Saints, um, Winston threw towards Alexander a couple of times in the first quarter. And I think he, he didn't throw anywhere near him for the rest of the game. So, you know, I, I can see what we need to do. Yeah, that's that's what the Saints did. Don't throw to, to, to Alexander. And they, they absolutely, Winston really did target King. Yeah, I think that that's the, definitely the way to go. Just just not Alexander and look elsewhere. I'll, all right, I'll finish it off with the safeties then. Obviously, Adrian Amos, another one of the elite guys out there. He was one of only six guys last year who, um, as a safety or a defensive back, who registered 60-plus solo tackles, two-plus interceptions, two-plus sacks. Five plus passes defended. The guy does everything. I know he didn't have the best week last week, but he's still one of the best at his position and a big threat there, especially, you know, deep down in the field. Is, is there anyone who we think who could maybe target Amos and expose maybe some of the weaknesses in there? There aren't many again, or do we just, again, try and stay away from him? I, I think you send in Hawkinson. I, I think you, you, um, you know, you just get try and get Hawkinson to run all over him. And just out muscle him. I, I think that's the only way to that, that he can be that he can be beaten because I think you know he he is one of their top players. Uh, that that probably to me is the only chance that we've got. I think. Sorry, go on, Matt. 
I think there's a couple of players, but I'm going to go the other the other route to Steve. So I think that some of the speedier guys can perhaps do a number on him, potentially, especially if a lot of the passing situations hopefully we're going to face is going to be in play action. That might play into our hands against the safety, who perhaps reads it as a run comes down and then gets beaten over the top. So I'd be looking to guys like Trinity Benson and um, Khalif Raymond, that sort of player. I think that they're going to have a shot against Amos. At least I think that is going to be the likely thing that happens as well. I don't know how many times Hawkinson's going to get matched up on a safety, but I mean, if that happens, you take it all day, like automatically. So... Yeah, I, I'd probably agree in your direction. I might try and put a bit more speed out there, but I think, you know, moving moving on, we might not have to target him because you look at their safety court and it is, it is depleted this week. And I think this is maybe one of the places that we really can exploit. Obviously, they lost Will Redmond to IR in preseason. Vernon Scott is questionable. Darnell Savage, the other safety there, the other, you know, good guy they've got at safety, he's also questionable for this game. And then after that, they've just got Henry Black. I don't really know anything about him, but they could have a very, very, you know, have no depth there at safety whatsoever. But if Savage does play, Savage plays at free safety a lot of the time, I do believe. I guess, again, you would probably go for speed for that, maybe Benson in there. I think that's probably, again, what I'd do if you're going yeah. up against Savage. I'd be interested to see what happens with Cadero Hodge, because he was a healthy scratch last week. But he's had now, like you know, a, a bit more time with the team. They threw in Trinity Benson pretty quickly. Um, I kind of wonder whether we'll see any of Cadell or Hodge this week, especially if Tyrell's out. Yeah, I mean so. he's the natural next man. So yeah, I yeah, I guess I say the run game obviously is critical to this. But if if all those safeties are missing and it's just Amos back there on his own, oh, could we find some luck if we try and go deep down the field? Because they're very slim in the secondary after that. I, I just can't I can't see Goff throwing beyond kind of like 10, 15 yard passes. Uh, uh, I just, <laughs> as much as I just love him to just drop back and unleash an absolute bomb uh, away from J.R. Alexander, um, I, I just think, I don't want to say it's going to be dink and dunk again, but, you know, 3.9 average depth of target for the first half for Goff, in, you know, against the Niners. I think we might see more of the same. And I think that's where uh, Hawkinson and Swift and Williams come in. Fair enough. Matt, yeah, I not. think... No, just bring them forward with the short pass to then throw over the top. I can't see... I can't see him throwing bombs early doors. It's just not going to happen. Golf. But if you bring them forward so they're defending the run and defending the short pass, that leaves them vulnerable over the top and then Goff has to be able to make that throw. And he proved a couple of times in the Niners game that he hasn't got it right yet. And I'm hoping that he can do that. He surely could throw the intermediate pass very well. He got a couple of 20-yard passes in there. You know, that, that actually looked pretty good. But, you know, he missed the, the touchdown in the corner of the end zone first half on the left-hand sideline. And then the, the bigger, deeper shot down the right-hand sideline to... Um, Khalif Raymond was three or four yards out of bounds. That was a really bad throw. I mean, even for an off-target throw, that was bad. So, you know, I think Goff has it. We've seen him do it, but he needs to be braver and he needs to be smart. Bring him forward first and give yourself a bit of space over the top. 
Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Well, just to end this bit about the offence then, just a one word answer. You know, after seeing what you saw last week, do you reckon our offence can hurt the Packers enough for us to get a result in this? Do Will the players be able to, you know, overcome what's in front of them? Jameis Winston did. Short answer, yes. Long answer, fuck yes. <laughs> that That is the kind of positivity we love there. Um, right, so you've said the injury reports dropped. Do you want to quickly go through that? Because I've not got yeah. it up just at the moment, and then we'll go on to the defence. Okay, so in concussion protocol and not practising on Thursday are Tyrell Williams and Kevin Strong, unfortunately. Uh, limited in practice are five guys... We've got Michael Brockers with a shoulder, Trey Flowers with a shoulder, Romeo Aquara with a shoulder, DeAndre Swift with a groin, and Jamal Williams with a chest. So, you know, just all the really important guys. Um, hopefully those are kind of just vet days to kind of rest them and, you know, not, not strain them out too much. But it is a bit worrying that we're going to be relying on our running backs and both RB1 and RB2 are limited on Thursday. Uh, and someone did have a full practice Levi on usury game with a hit. So that's encouraging that Levi is there. But, you know, between Williams, Brockers, Flowers, Aquara, Swift and Williams, that's a lot of starters with issues. Jamar Jefferson season. What can I say? You know, I was, I was quite disappointed that he got a healthy scratch last week. I think, you know, carry three running backs into your programme because he's more than good enough to make an impact in this side. But, I would be concerned with Williams because he had a wonderful game last week. He was one of the guys who stood out by far. You know, he's just brought such energy into this offense and hopefully he's good to go. But I like the depth that we've got there. Everyone knows how much I like Jamar. We've still got a bit more depth behind that. So hopefully we're able to, you know, hopefully we can share out the workload and still carry on going to work, if anything. It's great that Levi's back. You know, mm. that was one thing we could, you categorically missed last week. If you're going to, Blitz a lot. If you're gonna, you need disruptors in that offense, in that defensive line. Obviously, he's the biggest disruptor in there. He's able to collapse pockets, get after quarterbacks. He's exactly what we needed, rather than <clears throat> that other one who I won't mention because he hates us. Um, he had a good game as well. A couple of run stops late. He did for right. He who should not be named. He he, did. You know what? He can hate us and he can call us out for saying that he might have been on the roster bubble. And I don't care. Like we're just giving our take. If he's salty about that, fuck him. But if he plays well, I'm going to say he played well, and I thought he did well. So, um, I'm interested to get your take, because I know um, you, you've watched a lot of film um, on him, and, um, and, and I've actually not really had a, a proper chance to go back and look at the tape in detail. What, what did you make of uh, Aline McNeil? I thought he was all right. He had four tackles on the day. Um, I know he was going up against Alex Mack, you know, he's quite an experienced centre, so it's not the easiest assignment for your first NFL game. But I watched him closely, and he gave him a lot of trouble, in fairness. You know, that's a really good offensive line we're against. But I liked what I saw to start with, and I know a couple of people picked up on it as well, saying he did, you know, he had a good start. He's in there to stop the run. He did get a few tackles in to be able to do that. So, you know, this, this week's going to be a big one as well. Obviously, he's up against a new a new centre, uh, Josh Myers. This is only his second start there. He's replacing 
an, you know, an, old, an Ohio State legend in Corey Lindsley, who's one of the best centers in the league. You know, there's a lot of pressure on him and that offensive line to deliver. So I'm looking forward to seeing how McNeil plays this week. Obviously, it's going to be big again that we stop the run and we'll need him in there. But he did fine. He didn't jump off the table. He doesn't. There are not a lot of games where you'll see him jump out. It's all the little things that he does to help his teammates create opportunities, which is where he shines. And that's where you really have to dig into the tape to find it. Yeah, think... Josh, Josh Myers had one of the best grades on PFF last week. Uh, 71.9 offence, 80.1 pass blocking. So he, he had a good start. I think one thing I would say about uh, McNeil is that the, the Niners ran away from him. They didn't exactly help him get look good. Like the the Niners saw that our left hand side of our defensive line, the right hand side of their offensive line, was the place where they were going to run through, and so they just ran straight through there, they, they, which is going away from the center. So they've never been a run up the gut team, really. They always do stuff like that, don't they? All the little yeah. you know trick plays out to the side. That's how they work. So you know, Aaron Jones does like to do a lot of his work up the center. AJ Dillon, in fact, to be honest. I'm looking forward to seeing them two lock up the, the quad father and Aline McNeil. It's going to be like when an unstoppable force hits an immovable object, which one of them's going to buckle first? But Aline's going to win. I know that much. Um, but yeah, so shall we move it on to the defense now? Then I think is there anything left on the injury report you want to mention on? Or because I know a lot of them are light uh, practice, and I think we will see. We should see most of them. Cause don't forget, this is Monday as well. Maybe with it being Sunday, we could be a little bit more concerned about some of them. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Dan's just made a good point on Twitch that he's glad that Derek Barnes listed because there was a report that he got a bit banged up on a special teams play this week. So, I mean, I know that on Monday we were all saying that Barnes must start on Monday. Anzalone, was, Anzalone was trash. Get him out there. I don't care whether he's carrying the dot. I don't care whether he's carrying the dot or not. Give it someone else. Put Barnes in there. He's a playmaker. He's earned the opportunity. You know. But we know for sure that it will be Anzalone starting. Like there's there's no doubt in my mind that they're not going to abandon Anzalone after one game because that's not the sort of team that this is. So Anzalone will start. I'm looking for Barnes to just take more reps, come in more quickly. I'd hope that he will see 20 or so snaps and and they'll have about 50, 50 55 offensive snaps and he'll maybe get 40% or so. He's, so, a, he's a run stopper. I'd have him in straight away. And Zaloni's not designed to stop the run yeah. as much, whereas Derek Barnes is built to find those gaps and get after the running backs. You want to plug that running game early, then put him in. But you know, we, we've sort of verged on into the defensive structure, so we may as well just go into that. Um, d- defensively, you know, we've said offensively what we need to do to win this game, but defensively, what are we going to have to do right? What are we going to have to do different to be able to hold them to few enough points to give us a chance in this one? Because I, I think we all agree that they're not going to score three points again. I think it's going to be a considerably a bit more than that. So defensively, what have we got to get right to win this one? Um, I just want to start on set at the safety position um, and Will Harris. So Will Harris, uh, PFF grade last week of 38.3, culpable for several big plays, some absolutely appalling tackling. Yeah. And Shall I just say as well that that is the lowest PFF grade for safety in week one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not surprising at all. My view is we've seen enough of Will Harris 
you know, we, we've had Will Harris, we've done him, you know, last year, we've seen him in pre, pre-season, you know, we've got Dean Marlowe and uh, CJ Moore, who I think only took like a couple of snaps between them. Um, let's see them on the field and let's see Will Harris on the bench because, like I said, I'm done with Will Harris. I think just to give props to that safety unit, though, Tracy Walker had a really good game. I know yeah. we've been quite critical of him on here and obviously it's his contract year, it's his last year, he needs to have a good one. The sack was really good, but overall he had a really good game, so you've got to put someone else in there next to him. I feel I think it's gotta be Marlowe. You know, for me Marlowe's not done much wrong while he's been out there. I absolutely do not want to see CJ Moore out there. Not the way he tackles against this team. The last thing we need are guys who miss tack- you can't afford to be giving guys like Devontae Adams and you know, Valdez Scantling and, you know, Tonyan, you know, room to make yards after the catch, you've got to take them down straight away. You need all your best tacklers out there this week. It's not going to be CJ Moore for me. But I think in general, that just leads to, you know, defensively, if we want to do something here, we've got to protect that secondary. We have to protect that secondary so much. We've got to get at the quarterback, stop the run to be able to allow us a bit more protection in there. Because if we let them start running over us and we're just down to single coverage, we're going to be in a lot of bother, aren't we? Yeah. The key man for me in the entire game is Romeo Aquara. If he plays, if he gets back to full practice, which I hope he does. Aquara had the most pressures on the defensive line for us last week. He was an absolute menace in the past game. But against the run, he was an utter liability. Like... If he plays like that, and I said this on Monday, but I'll say it again because it's worth saying. If he plays like that, you can't play him on first and second down. You can't do it. You cannot afford to have someone that bad at tackling and run defense on the line. If, if he's going to play like that, Austin Bryant has to come in on first and second down because he's got pass rush upside, but it's much better against the run. So, Aquara, I know we've given him all this money. And I know it's only one game and that San Francisco are a really good running team and they've got a really good offensive line and whatever. He has to play better. He's being paid to play better. And he wasn't a good run defender before, but to play all three downs in this league, that has to be a string to your bow and he doesn't have it right now. This is the game to go and prove it. Um, on Will Harris, they're not going to give up on him after one game either. We want them to because he's just not up to it. But they are going to give him another chance. I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. But this is it for me. He's definitely going to play in this game. He doesn't show it. I want them to get rid early because when it's not working, it's not working. So last chance saloon, I think, game two for a couple of players. This is a big opportunity for us to get a win. And you know what? They're going to be forgiving of guys who make mistakes early on. But sooner or later, you make too many, you're out the door. Yeah, Jimbo G in the in the chats mentioned that um, Alex Anzalone is worse than Will Harris. Well, you know, I, I'm not defending Anzalone. Let's get Derek Barnes in. Let's get Barnes more snaps at, at linebacker. Well, this this offensive line for them is probably the most vulnerable it's been in some time. Let's say they've lost their all pro centre. They're missing the best left tackle in the NFL. They've not had a right tackle for time immemorial. I think if this, you know, if this defensive line is going to show what it can do, I think this has to be the game where it steps up and really puts its foot down, really lets it be known. Because I think that's 
the only way, you know, you know when Rogers gets chased around, he gets miserable, he gets mardy, he stops throwing well. I think for me, it, it, it does all hinge on the ability of that defensive line for this. And I think that's it, that front seven, they have to pressure, they have to break down that line because they're not going to get a better chance, really. Not as far as I can see, anyhow. If they were playing back to Ari and Lindsley, I'd be worried, but they're not. They're gone and they're playing a guard out at left tackle and they've got a guy playing his second ever game at centre in the league who's going up against, you know, our really good nose and I'd love to see him, I think, you know, Aleem, I say it every week, but for me, he's probably one of the big guys this week. Stop that run, really give Myers a horrible time and people will be able to get through at Rogers for it, but I don't know who's who's sort of the vital guy for you guys. Then, if if this is gonna, if we're gonna get there, I know Matt, you said Romeo, but for you, Steve, and I know you've, you know, you do, I say a lot more analysis on the Packers. There is there one of our players who think if they stand up, we're really gonna have a chance here to be able to limit them enough to win. I, I think I, I think we need to get some serious push on the interior. Um, so I really want to see you know, McNeil. Penasini, um, you know, Levi. I, I just want to see us, you know, put pressure on their front seven, you know, on, on their um, on their O line and, and, and really kind of like get Rogers on the back foot um, and just create that pressure inside that opens up the, the edge for, you know, Aquara and Trey Flowers. I mean, Trey Flowers had a really good game, um, I thought. Um, you know, he wasn't spectacular, but I just thought he was. He was, he did everything that we asked of him pretty well. Maybe pass rush, he didn't quite get the penetration, but you know, let's start to cause some havoc on that O line, and and then let's use the pass rush, throw in a couple of blitzes, unleash Derek Barnes. Let's put him under pressure. Let's let's not try and play this too carefully. I, I know that you know it will be just our luck if Rogers, you know. Um, <laughs> revived himself and, and came back from this kind of like, you know, can't be asked sort of like vibe that he was throwing out and, and, you know, starts throwing spectacular passes, but let's get at them. Let's really like get at them. I think, I think that's maybe the key for me. You know, I know said the defensive line, the running game of there, but they are hurting from this. And if we can maybe get towards half time and there's very few points on the board, they're not putting us away. The pressure grows on them. Sure, if they come out and sling a few touchdowns, get an easy lead, then you know we've let them off the hook. But if we can hold them, get some three and outs going, put a few points up, I think then the pressure's just gonna it's gonna build and build and build, and ultimately could hopefully for us make them collapse. I don't know if you guys see the same, but for me that's that's huge. As we we can't afford to go down big like we did against the 49ers early. Otherwise, they're gonna roll us. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think the, just to sorry, Matt. And the other thing that I think we've absolutely got to do is we've got to double up on Devante Adams because Adams did very little or showed very little last week. I don't believe that Adams is going to have two quiet games in a row. So I want to see a corner, you know, absolutely all over him, and I want to see a safety. I think Tracy Walker is going to need to just be like follow him around the pitch. Uh, yeah, we need to double up because we don't have a corner that I think can go one-on-one with them. All right. So you, if you want to say a bit, Matt, and then we'll go into the matchups you just mentioned there. We'll see who, you know, 
who's, who we might put on him. Um, for you, Matt, are there any other keys that we need to win this one? I think just keep it in front of us, which is what we've been preaching as a defensive scheme anyway. Don't let them get in behind you. Give them a bit of depth. If they want to take some short completions, that's fine. And if that sounds a bit like what we were doing for the last couple of years, I'm okay with that against the Packers. No matter how badly Rodgers plays last weekend, he's still Aaron fucking Rodgers. And I hate him whenever he's playing for the Packers, even though, you know, sometimes he says some pretty funny stuff on the field and comes to actually like him a bit. But, um, but on the field, he's an absolute menace. And if there's any team he's going to pick it up for, it's this one. He cannot afford to lose this game. So he's going to come out firing. And like it or not, the Packers have weapons who can hurt you. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Marquez Valdez scanning in a minute, but he he always gets one-on-one -on -one coverage because of Adams attracting so much attention. And yeah, he gets he only catches fifty percent of the balls thrown his way, but the majority of them are thirty yards downfield because he burns. So you know it's a dangerous game to double Adams and leave everyone else one-on-one because Tonyan's going to hurt you, MVS is going to hurt, Lazard or not not will can hurt you. They're boom or bust players, almost all of them. But when they boom and they boom all together, the Packers go to the championship game a couple of years ago. So, it's going to be hard to keep them out. Yeah, I think, just adding on to a few of these, I think time of possession is key as well, isn't it? You know, we're going to have to get some of these long extended drives in and just wear them into the ground. Because I remember very clearly, that's what they did to us last year. Um, I think it was in the second half of the game we only just lost against them. They had like an 11-minute drive, I think, in the third quarter. Followed it up with nearly another seven-minute one. They just cast our defence out and didn't give us the ball. And that's what the Saints did to them, actually. They actually showed a picture of their defence at the start of the second quarter, all hands on hips, gasping for breath because they've been out there that long. I think they only had seven minutes of offence. So I think, you know, if, again, another thing we're going to have to do is do time of possession. Yeah. Yeah, well... Fair enough. So we'll finish off the defensive chat now. We'll do the matchups again. You know, Ash asked us to do so. So Devontae Adams, obviously, is one of the best wide receivers in the business, if not the best. He's absolutely amazing, and just some of the stuff he can do, absolutely incredible. I mean, how are we gonna? How do we need to match up against him? I know you mentioned it a little, Steve, but who are you assigning to him to try and stop him? Uh, probably like. Darius Slay, circa 2017, would be our best hope. I, I, I can't really think of anyone anyone uh, else on, on the current on, roster. On the current roster, you can't go back in the past, otherwise there's a lot of guys we can choose then. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, I'm going to take Rebus Island. Um. <laughs> we, we, we don't have anyone that can match up with Devontae Adams. We just don't have anyone. Like, I'm, I'm sorry to the existing roster, but we just don't. And, and to be honest, probably 30, 40% of teams in the NFL don't. So we're not alone. Fair enough. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got an idea on this, and it's not a great idea, but all ideas are basically bad at this point. Well, I think we're going to hear it, it anyway. It, 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 can't, it can't be illegal or involving like foreign substances or anything so, like that. So you're saying I can't smoke weed with him before the game? <laughs> You can um, try, but... Right. So, I think that Armani Orowarie has proven a few times now that he is an average to below average corner. 
quarterback who possesses reasonable speed, reasonable coverage, reasonable length. He's not particularly good or outstanding at any of these things. You put him up against Adams, he doesn't have a unique skill set. He's going to get burned by Adams every single time. Oruwari will be a liability against him. So I think we need to avoid putting Oruwari on Adams, like on every rep. Just put Oruwari as a CB2. Leave him there, because that's... I mean, he, he struggles even with that. So that leaves a hole at CB1. I'm looking at someone who has a unique skill set. I'm thinking, if we get the absolute best play from this person, what does it look like? Well, with Orarie, it's not good. The only other corner who can do this is Fatou Melabombe. Parker can't do it on the outside. If, if Adams travels into the slot, I'm happy giving Parker that rep. But Melafonwu has that unique you know, blend of size and speed. Now, he is raw, and he could get exposed. But I think that anyone you put out there is going to be exposed. But if Melafonwu actually goes out there and is surprisingly good, like that's going to look quite well against Devontae Adams because he actually matches up well with him in terms of size and speed. So put someone out there whose ceiling is actually do okay. I don't see it from Oreo Aria in this matchup. You know, weirdly enough, the thing with Iffy, it's in front, he's really good even now. I think it's when they get him behind him where he has issues. But if he could keep Devontae in front of him, then it's not the worst idea in the world. I think we're on a hide into nothing for this one, but I, I can see a logical thinking. Keep him in front of him. He's got the speed to be able to keep up with him and see what he can do. And, you know, it could be a breakout game for him. We never know. Hopefully, he doesn't get too much of the ball. If we can rush Rodgers enough to stop him passing, then we will see. But we'll, we'll move on. So the other threat they've got, you've mentioned him already, MVS. Now, he's one who's been up and down there for years, but you can't deny he's got absolute burner speed. And if you're looking for someone to come up against him, you need a guy who is really quick and is good in coverage. Because if he's good in coverage, MVS ain't the best at contested catches. You need someone who's going to be able to keep up with him and you know just be able to cover him well. So for MVS, who would you put up against him? Oh. See, so this is where I'm taking Amani. I don't think Amani can deal with him in terms of speed, but it's the same argument he just gave in terms of keeping it in front of you and being able to pass it off to a safety potentially as well, have safety help over the top. Like, it's just really hard to match up with both of these guys at once, but Oriwari, I think, has a much better chance against NBS. Come on, yeah, Steve, give us hope. Who, who do you think is the quickest out of Melifonwu and... Oh, are we? I know, I know Malifonmu, I think, ran 4.48 um, for his RAS. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure w whether he's the quicker one. I'd say it'd, play, it'd be Iffy, but it's close. The, the problem with Iffy is that his, um, you know, it's his agility. I mean, on, his, on his RAS, his agility was poor. I mean, um, apparently, apparently Amani ran a 4.47, so they're about the same. But I, I mean, I think, I think with MVS, I think you probably have to look at safety here, won't you? Just because of his deep threat. He's going to be getting to where the safeties are. I think you have to match a safety up against him. Yeah, I, I mean, I just wouldn't put a rookie anywhere near Devontae Adams. I, I think Matt's right. I think Oruari is the, the one to, to go with. Can I just interrupt? The Lions have just claimed former Jets DB Corey Ballantyne from the New York Ooh. Jets. He's a DB. 
that's the final spot on the 53-man roster gone. So, obviously, we've kept that open for him. Uh, Kent Lee Platy at Math Farmers just tweeted out his RAS score. He runs a 4.47 40-yard dash. He has a 9.35 overall RAS score, 6.82 three-cone. Uh, he, he had an 11-foot um, three broad jump. That's 9.94 and a vertical of 39.5. So big jumper. So that's um, corner, 5'11", so not the tallest, but certainly not the smallest cornerback in the world. Um, he says he was waved off injured injured reserve. So is he carrying an injury, or or unless they've just released him after an injury? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, if he wasn't going to make the roster anyway, and he was injured, then you can put him on injured reserve and end his season for them anyway, won't it? So it's like what we might do with Tyrell Crosby. He might well be fit by now. We don't know. We'll have to see with that one, I guess. Um, yeah. So the wide receivers, well, uh, given hope with the guys who are covering them there. Now, obviously, you've got to look at the tight end threat, Robert Tonyan. I know he didn't have the best game last week, but last year, you know, Rodgers really likes throwing to him. You know, he got 60 out of 66 receptions, which is ridiculously good for a tight end. 668 yards, 12 touchdowns. He's a threat going through the middle of the pitch, and you really do have to pay attention to him. You know... Who are you lining up against Tony? Because he's a big dude who can knock a lot of smaller guys out of the way. And on his day, he's one of the biggest threats they've got there. It's hard, isn't it? Dean Marlowe? Not for me. I don't like that. Um, at least not as a matchup generally. I don't like safeties on tight ends. That seems like a mismatch to me. Um, Maybe Barnes, maybe, I mean, it's going to be Anzalone, and that's going to be horrific. But Collins or Barnes, I guess, someone from the linebacking core, or if he splits out into the slot, then AJ Parker. I just, I love AJ Parker. Jimbo G has just asked what you think about him. To me, he's the most aggressive, most combative corner we've got, but he's slot only, and I don't think you should play him outside that at all so i think he's a liability outside so whenever we transition into the nickel and dime defenses i want him on the field you know what i actually feel a little guilty that i've left them two out because you know jerry jacobs and aj parker because i mean they're probably some of our best coverage guys so i i because i think i said it the other day when i was chatting to you i'd give parker a big assignment for this one i think he's just a fearless rookie who's coming as an udfa and it's just absolutely balled out just ride the crest while it's hot. So I know he wasn't used too much week one. But, I mean, Jacobs is no slouch either. So, I mean, for me, in terms of Tonyan, I'm putting a linebacker on in front of him. So I'd put Jamie Collins on him. I just think it needs a big physical presence, someone who's going to be able to try and manhandle him. And I know Collins' coverage grades were pretty good during the preseason and last week. So I think that's where I'd go with him. But I'd change now. I'll put Parker on. You know, I, I might even give him to Adams. I know it's inviting disaster but I think he's just fearless and I don't think he'd shy away from the challenge and I think you know he'll do damn well in coverage against him so yeah I, I know we love them both and they do need to be used more for me I, di I didn't like how little Parker was used last week yeah I'd, I'd like to see you know, like I said players that we've we've tried and tested and aren't up to it 
you know, let's let's take the snaps off them and let you know give it Parker. Let's see what we can do. His coverage grade last week was sixty six point three. Yeah, let's let's see what he can do when he's taking forty five snaps instead of twenty one snaps. I mean, it was not just that. It was you know he was able to read the quarterback, break passes up. He was in coverage, his tackling solid. I think for another UDFA, he just he completely balled out. I'm feeling really bad. I forgot about them now, but I think that. You know, you're trying to you're trying to give the current corners you've got as much opportunity as possible. But like mm. Steve said, you know, you've had your chance, some of you, and you're not doing it. Give it the rookies. Give it the ones who are working their ass off to get there, because they've both earned an opportunity in the first team to do more. So it'll be interesting to see how much they used and whether they try them against some of their bigger wide receivers. Um, all right, we'll end this. Um, obviously, well, last one, Aaron Jones. You know, obviously he's dual threat there he's a big frame guy again um is there anyone specifically we can put on aaron jones to keep him quiet because that's going to be critical obviously aleem's going to be big in the run game but when you get him out wide getting passing getting returning as well because obviously was it him who burnt us for that big ass long touchdown return last year yep yep um yeah, I, I, it's a tricky one. I, I mean, again, you can't be everywhere, but Jamie Collins, for me, is our kind of best run defender in that area. Um, so, yeah, I think he's going to have a big responsibility. Um, and, and Barnes, I think between Collins and Barnes, I really want to see those two as a partnership and what they can do playing, you know, 45, 50 snaps together. Ah. Any 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 ideas, Matt? Well, if if Barnes is as good a run defender as you say, then Barnes is the man. Because he's super athletic and he's got it enough so he can actually stop him in the pass game, I think. I've always been sold on Barn Barnes as a coverage defender. Because he just looks like he has it whenever I've seen him and he was the highest coverage linebacker in preseason in the NFL. So that that to me is a proven ability. I've not seen it in the run game, but I've not seen enough of him for college. But if he's as good as he's say, it's Barnes' assignment. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, just to quickly go through the Packers injury report, that's just dropped. We'll quickly do that before we finish and do predictions. Uh, Josiah DeGuerra's not practicing. He's their blocking tight end. Lucas Patrick, the guard, hasn't practiced with concussion. Zadarius Smith hasn't practiced with a back issue. I don't know whether that's a vet day, but that's huge if he doesn't play because obviously he's one of their best, you know, guys rushing the quarterback. So that'll be huge if he doesn't. Scott and Savage at safety are both limited practice with shoulder and hamstring injuries, and Tyler Lancaster is as well. Josh Myers has got a finger injury, but he practiced in full, so he's probably going to play. But there are a few big ones there. If they don't play, it evens it up for us a little bit, especially Zadarius Smith. Yeah, I think he was definitely playing injured last week. So we'll we'll see if they if they risk him this week. Mm, absolutely. Um, right. So we've been going on for a while now. So let's get to predictions. You know, given what you saw from the Lions last week, given what you saw from the Packers, is it a case of the Packers are just going to come and absolutely run roughshod over us this week as some sort of punishment because they played so bad the other week? Or you know, is there a chance that this Aaron Rodgers lull is not just a temporary thing, but this could be a season-long 
episode where he's just out of character. Because if he is, surely we, we've got a chance in this one. Who's stepping forward with their prediction first? Oh, I just don't know whether to do it or not. Do I, do I take that hit of the hopium pipe? It's there in front of me, smoking away. You're here with the two positive ones, Steve. Don't don't be a Ryan or a Martin, as much as all of them both. Like I'm, I'm just worried of our, the the lack of experience on our roster going into Lambo. I mean that nasty cheese factory will be absolutely buzzing. They've not had, seen a game there for, you know, eighteen months, and that crowd is going to be absolutely wild. And I just worry with some of our young players going into that kind of like cauldron-like atmosphere. I'd, I'd absolutely love to get on the back of the Lions here, but... Didn't they see the Tampa game? Weren't the fans in for the Tampa route? Uh, like, yeah, maybe like a limited number, maybe. But yeah, this is going to be like full, isn't it? It's going to be full yeah. of, you know... Um, can the Lions go to Lambeau and win? I, I think it's going to be really, really close. But I think we, it's going to be like a three-point game. I, if you'd have asked me two weeks ago, I'd have said we'd have lost by 15 points. Um, I, I think this is going to be like yeah, a one-score game, maybe even a, a, a three-point game. I just I can't see us. I can just see Rogers doing enough, just enough. But do you know what? I think I think the Packers will win but it won't be a good win and the rumblings will continue. That's my prediction. One score to the Packers. Yeah. Matt? Yeah, when you asked me to give a prediction a couple of days ago, I said a three-point game in favour of the Packers. I still see that happening. I think we're going to give them a scare. I think that we're going to go out to a lead and I think we're going to be running the ball effectively. I think it's going to be one of those ones where Rogers just does one of those improbable comebacks that you seem to do with regularity. I think that's the sort of way this one goes. So I can see us being up four with a minute to play and Rogers, you know, scores a touchdown to win the game and it's going to be gutting and it'll be a three-point win. So 34-31, something like that. It's going to be gutting. But I think, again, we will show promise. We will come out of the game being utterly devastated that we've lost, but thinking... No, we can do something with this season. If that happens and we can see them the last minute to lose, this pod's going to be terrible on Tuesday, you know that. We're just going to be sat here like... <sighs> so, I guess it's down to me again. So, you two have both gone for the Packers win, one score each. So, you know, it's me... The, the, pos- the, the, the guy of positivity, the guy who's going to have to do this again. Like I say, I go into every game seeing how we can win it. Is there a route to victory? And there is, yes, a lot needs to go in our favour. You know, we need to win the time of possession. We need to win the line of scrimmage battle. We need to, dom- you know, we need to dominate in the run game. We need to be just good enough in coverage to give us an opportunity to, you know, get enough points on to win. So... With all that in mind, and looking at how it is, I'm going for a 15-point win to the Packers. I what? I hate saying this. I really do. I know I'm the positive guy, but I'm seeing them come off this, and 
they're going to be such insufferable team. I know, in the chat, hate me. It's I hate <laughs> doing this. I'm the positive one, but I just think they're going to come at us and I don't think the secondary is going to be able to hold against the that. The power offense. of Christ compels you. I know. Who is, who, who, is, who, is, you. who is this guy? This is not me, <laughs> but you know, I, I let my heart overrun my head against the 49ers when looking what was up with some of that and I just see the defeat they've taken we're going to Lambeau, we've got a young team, we've got a secondary that is in trouble at the moment and what do they do? They carve up secondaries and You're being booed in the chat I know, I'm being booed and I'm really sorry chat, I'm always the positive one let's say this isn't me but I just think that we're going to be on the receiving end of a hiding, I think we're going to be competitive for a while and then I think they're going to get two scores up and they're going to run the clock down against us and we're not going to have a chance to get back into it. I do expect to see more improvement still. I do expect us to put up a good fight, but I think just in the end, it's going to be a little bit too much for us. And I hate to, if this was at Ford Field, I might change my mind. But it's at Lambeau, it's in a hostile environment, and they're going to want to wreck a team in response to this. And I just can't see all these things coming together that we need to. There's so much we're riding on, like I say, time of possession, winning the line of scrimmage, imposing the run game, being just good enough in coverage to be able to deal with it. I can't see it all coming together in one game, but I would love to be proved wrong. I would absolutely love to be, but I'm going with my head on this one. And, you know, if Martin and Ryan are listening, they're going to be like, cheering i guess that i've finally gone to the dark side but that's it I mean, for me this time just just imagine i mean you know let's let's look at the flip side of where how this thing can end just imagine if you know rogers is sulking we oh. you know we take him down with a couple of big sacks early doors you know we're putting pressure on him we shut down the run game you know, Swift and Williams between them start carving up that soft underbelly of their linebackers. You know, we we Chuck nick, Steve. We nick a vi- nick a victory, and you know, all of a sudden the Packers are zero and two, and oh my God, those cheesy fuckers will be just crying, absolutely, just you know, they'll just be, um, and the, the media will be all over them. It will just be beautiful. This would be an amazing time to beat the Packers. I it would. Please, I hope I'm wrong. I I do. I hope I'm wrong, and I want us to go out there and lay a whooping on them and let them know, you know, you're having a bad time. We're going to make it even worse. So I hope that I'm going to be on the Twitter stream again. I'm going to be being my usual positive self, you know, not giving up until it's over. So I hope to God we can pull something off here, and I'm looking forward to watching the game. So. You know, I, I really think there could be some sort of like repeat of the Rams versus Kansas in terms of scoring. It could be 52-50. Like, I, I really think that could happen. Goff has it in him. And you know what? Their DB room isn't unbeatable. Their linebacker room is bad. Like, just flat out bad. So, over the middle, give it to Hawk. Give it to Amon Ra. Give it to the uh, running backs. We can burn this team. We can let's do it I don't have enough capital letters for that many scores that's just going to be an absolute smorgasbord of emotions that is if it ends up 52-50 <laughs> but 
you know, we live to see. So yeah, that's that is everything. Unless anyone has got anything else they want to say on this game before we're all done, or we're all done for this week. Yep. All right. I think we're all done. Okay, right. So it just remains to uh, let you know about the upcoming podcast. So obviously, twenty first of September, it's going to be for us now here in the UK. It's going to be quarter past one in the morning when this game is played. But we are going to be up. We're going to be on Zoom. Me and Matt will be there, maybe more, possibly so. Or indeed on our new Discord channel if you want to join. Oh, it's Discord, know. isn't it? Sorry, yeah, it's changed to Discord. So me and Matt will be up, some of the others may be. So do come and join us. We do enjoy the company. And especially at that time of night, it will be nice to have some people there to keep us going. We'll be on Twitter. Um, do carry on interacting with us. I had so much interaction during the last game. It's absolutely great. Do keep... Uh, do keep on up with that. Absolutely wonderful. So, yeah, that's going to be about quarter to one in the morning we're going to start that. But we'll let you know close to the time. And then later on that day, on the Tuesday at about eight o'clock, we will do the Green Bay Review pod when hopefully we're celebrating a victory. Obviously, it's a day later, but obviously we usually do it on a Monday. The game won't have been played by then. So we've put it back a day. And then the day after that, Wednesday, 22nd of September, um, will be the next episode of the Roar of the Lions College Football Podcast. We'll be looking through week three of the NCAA season, reviewing that. And we've also got a few sections planned for um, audience requests. We're going to be looking at players to avoid in the draft. You know, maybe guys up there who really shouldn't be, who the Lions shouldn't touch. And we're going to be looking at safety prospects as well. We've been asked a few times about Kyle Hamilton, the elite safety from Notre Dame. We did a little list of guys we were going to look through during the summer. So we're going to update you on how they're getting on, you know, because the Lions probably going to need a safety prospect in the next draft. So that's all that's coming up on the pod there. Just remains for me to go through our social. So if you want to find us, you can find us on all, all sort of social media gatherings. So on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, you'll find us at ROTL underscore UK. YouTube, you'll find us at Royal Lions UK. Uh, website www.roarofthelionsuk.com I think we've got some previews and reviews dropping on there always lots of uh, articles coming out so do give them a read let us know what you think and then on Facebook you can find us on our page Roar of the Lions UK and our Facebook group Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide so with that being said it just remains for me to thank Matthew and Steve it's been a very enlightening chat this evening and despite my little bombshell at the end there I hope that we really are going to beat the Packers this week because you'll not be able to shut us up for weeks we will properly ram this one home if we're able to do it so until the next time thanks everyone for joining we really appreciate it it's what keeps us going what keeps us wanting to do this you're joining in your numbers now so thanks ever so much but until next time all that remains to say is one pride. One Fuck pride. the Packers. Fuck the Packers. <laughs>